0: Good morning. It is uh, wonderful to be back in Claremont, uh, to be back home with my wife. Uh, It was harder than I thought to be away. Um, People would ask me, you know, where are you going and how long are you going for? And when I would tell them three weeks, they would kind of just give me this look like, like, are you crazy to be gone for three weeks? And at the time, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but uh, after a couple days, it was already... Like, okay, I could, I could go home now. It would be nice. It would nice be nice to be home. Um, but I appreciate all your prayers, and I will be giving an update um, about what went on while I was there. It wasn't uh, just a vacation to be gone for a, a time. But I'm going to read a passage from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. To begin, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. A lot of things went on while I was there, and a lot of different topics came up. And it was a great time of growth and of fellowship. I didn't know anybody um, before I got there. And I had to meet 40 new people and 10 new staff members and all the different guest speakers that came. And we outlined the book of Ephesians while we were there for the three weeks. That was one of our tasks to outline the book. And this is a prayer from Paul for the church at uh, Ephesus and his letter on the instruction on how to walk in their position in Christ. And in verse 14 it reads, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That was a very strong theme in the time we were there to know the fullness of God, to be filled with the fullness of God, the love of Christ. And a lot of the messages dealt with, with this knowledge, with this love, with the brothers and sisters that we have, what are we doing to show the world the love that we have, to show the lost what they're missing? And a lot of people were very, I don't want to say offended, but... um, caught off guard when a message was given by a brother, Nate Bramson, who is a, a missionary. Uh, he, he was born to missionary parents in Senegal, and he's been a missionary now in Egypt and in, um, in Niger, and he's currently in Senegal with his parents, with the team, and he's going back to Niger, and he's going to be there for the foreseeable future. And he gave a message on, you know, missions, and he said, there's no such thing as missions, it's the mission it's one mission, and it's all the same throughout the entire world, and it's to go and show the love of Christ and preach the gospel. And he would say that he doesn't pray for open doors, because the doors are open, you can go. Uh, he prays for closed doors. So he was talking about a situation when he was going to study in Lebanon, and the door was open, and he was going, and he was in Egypt, about to catch the flight into Lebanon, and the, the school like burned down. And he said, well, that's a closed door, I guess. So he stayed in Egypt, and he was in Egypt for the next four years. And he opened up a, a children's center where kids could come, and he has a real heart for the, for the kids. And his question is, he was giving all this, you know, how many of you would like to go out and to preach the gospel and to do these things? And his question was, like, well, what are you doing at home? Do you really believe in eternal condemnation for people? And that struck a chord because we never really think about it like that when we see people day to day in our lives. Do we really believe in eternal condemnation, that God says what he says and he means what he means when he says those that are not saved, that do not know my son, that have not been redeemed, will spend an eternity in hell, separated in the lake of fire. And all of us were cut to the heart. I mean, you can't hear a message like that from a guy who's living it out and say, Oh, okay, no big deal. Um, after that, we was just maybe we spent an hour and a half in prayer, just with each other individually, and the prayer that was repeated over and over was a prayer that we know when we get home it's going to be hard, and the fears begin to set in what happens when we go home because it's one thing to wake up surrounded by forty believers and you're just you're praising the Lord all day and you're singing all night and Everyone in the group was musically talented, except for me. And when I say musically talented, I mean, like, musically talented. It wasn't just like, well, I, he plays guitar. It was like, oh, I play guitar, and then I can also play the piano, and I dabble in the drums, and I have perfect pitch and can hit any note. So everyone was kind of like that. I play the violin. so any, any given night, we would have three guitarists, a piano player, uh, two people, on the, one on the box drum and one on the regular drum, and... Uh, somebody with the shaker, like playing, like somebody, they had to do something, tambourine, Uh, it was just this huge orchestra we had every night, and singing praises to the Lord, and everyone with amazing voices, it's an uplifting time, it's an encouraging time, and you feel built up, and it feels really good, and then all of a sudden you start to think about when you go home, and you go back to work, and you go back to the day-to-day, and what is it really going to be like? What's it really going to look like? You know, when we talk about change and going on for the Lord and being convicted, what does it look like? What is that conviction going to prove itself to be? And over and over, the prayer for the, for the kids there and for many of us was, you know, don't let this just be a feeling that I have at this point in time. Don't let this just be something that convicts me now and in a month will just be a memory. And it's our job now to keep each other accountable and uh, I'll post uh, something of all the names of the people and the locations where they're from and you can look at them and as the Lord, if the Lord brings it to your heart to pray then I would ask you to pray for them. Uh, they, they've, we've kind of asked each other to mention that to the assemblies that we fellowship at and there was kids from all over the world Korea, Israel, Germany, Austria, Honduras, Canada um, all over the United States we didn't have one problem the whole time we were there, three weeks, 40 people. I had six guys in my room, and we were the, the smallest room. Everybody else had at least eight or ten, and nobody ever had an issue or didn't get along. Or To think that all these different cultures could come together, but when we're all together, we all have the same things in common, and it's the Lord, and it's our love for him, and it's our willingness to serve him. And so often as we were studying we would get into a conversation on what the text is really saying and we there would be some disagreements and we would kind of look at each other and say now are we willing to let this become something it shouldn't be are we willing just to put it aside and and just move on without a doubt you have to move on because you're not going to agree on everything and that's the one thing we all noticed when we were there we all had differences of opinion on certain things but on the main things uh, a love for the lost our job and what we are to be doing it was all the same we would start the beginning of the day at six o'clock they'd come and they'd ring this bell and you know by the third week you just wanted to do something not very nice to the person with the bell so they would have to rotate who rang the bell in the morning (laughs) And they'd come around to all the rooms, and they'd be, you know, you'd get up, and it was in a racquetball court. And it was just this real big facility, and there's only uh, 12 saints in fellowship there at Southside Bible Chapel. And they had rows set up all the way like this in this one room, and there's only 12 people that come um, to worship at the breaking of bread. And they've been praying for eight years to have a, a group of people to come and to use the facility and to have a training program, or, or a retreat, somewhere where it can be used of the Lord for outreach, and for things of that nature, because they had four racquetball courts, and one was just this big, and they put up a basketball court, and it was basically a basketball court in there, and then they had one that was a racquetball court, and then two of them, they put up volleyball nets, and they played a game called volleyball. and I thought they had made it up, but it's it's legit, they have rules, and you know, somebody that makes the specific gear for volleyball, so it was, that was pretty fun. And when we were there, the time we were there, we, we went out to do gospel outreaches um, four times, and just in the city, we'd go to the malls or the movie theater or different um, parks and events that they were having. And uh, Jim McCarthy and his group had developed an app on the iPad, and it's called the Next Life app, and it deals for people that are of Christian Uh, Faith that it has all the denominations listed, and it's a witnessing tool. It's what you use to share the gospel, and the question is, why should God let you into heaven? And it will pull up a selection with 12 selections, and it's, you know, I believe in God, I've been baptized, I keep the Ten Commandments, uh, I'm a good person, I help the needy, all these different things, and you'd be surprised. You go out, and it's almost discouraging, but you go out and you say, okay, based on these selections here, Uh, what would you say it takes to get to heaven? And they'd, you know, click five or six of them and say, so this is what you would tell somebody how to get to heaven, if you were going to tell them. If they came to you, knocked on your door and said, you know, I need to know, what you're a Christian, how do I get to heaven? And they're like, yeah, this is what I would tell them. I said, okay. And so we go through it, and we go through each one, and we kind of break it down like, you know, this is what the Word of God says about these things. And then we'd give them the gospel. It has a gospel outline with all the verses you would need. And you give them the gospel and you get to the end and it, it shows two screens. One is what the word of God says about being saved. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And this one is all the stuff that they thought it takes. And there's a question that pops up and it says, would you like to change your selection? And most people are like, yeah, could I go back to my selection screen? And then they go back to the, and they click more. And you wonder, what, what just happened? What, what did I miss? And this whole time we were going through all this. What, what, what didn't you see? How was I not clear? And we realized the biggest problem with people that are lost is there's no repentance. There's no conviction. There's no, there's no inner need saying, I need a Savior. And, and I believe that his, his payment is enough. You know, they've heard the gospel over and over again. And there's no... They feel no need. They feel like they're going to do it on their own. Or we just came up with this crazy idea on our own that uh, you know we're the only ones that have figured it out and it's hard it's hard because they're just they're nice people and a couple people we get into it and we you know they're a little bit more open and I say so you know we have a survey that we use too, and it was you know how much exposure have you had to the Christian faith most people said a lot it's a catholic area in Lafayette. So most people said a lot. Do you know somebody who's a true Christian? And they'd say, no. <laughs> and we'd move to the next one, you know. How much of the Bible have you read? And it was 25, 50, 100%. Most people, 25%. And they'd say, would you say that Jesus Christ's message is still relevant today? And they'd say, yeah. I'd say, okay. We'd go to the next question. How would you describe Jesus Christ's message? Well, I don't know. How do you know if it's relevant if you don't know what the message is? And they'd give them, you know, something on, you know, love, love one another, and don't judge, and be a good person. And in the end, it would just kind of hit them. Be a good person. I said, so what's he doing on the cross then? What's the point of that? Be a good person, love one another, don't judge people. What's Christ doing on the cross? Why did he, go, why did he come? And they just sit there, and, and people that are honest just look at you. And I had maybe three or four people tell me, I don't know. And I say, I do. You do? I say, yeah. You want me to tell you? Yeah. So we open the scripture, and we look through it, and then they look at it, and they see it. And I'll say, now, he came and he died on the cross for what? And they're like, well, for the sins of the world. I said, so did he not do it? is it not enough no it's totally enough and then they stare at you again like oh but no conviction no turning to Christ just oh the light bulb went on I guess you did die I guess it is enough and it doesn't change a thing Out of all the people we shared the gospel with, and it was hundreds of people, it was 40 of us going in and out, I, myself, and uh, a gentleman, Mark, from Canada, we probably talked to 40 people in the times that we went out that really gave the gospel. There was other people that we talked to, but you didn't really get around. They were busy or they weren't paying attention or whatever the case may be. But out of all the 40 people and all the other people, that we had one girl from China who was there on a three-month stay and she was working at the mall at a little nail stand. It was just a stand, and she was selling product. And, of course, we didn't plan this out, Mark and I. When we walked up to the thing, there was two people working, this girl and this guy. And I was on the left. He was on the right. I said, okay, so we're split up. So we split up. And he's, he's from Malaysia and speaks Mandarin. And he takes the Jewish guy, and I'm, oh, you know, <laughs> Don't speak a lick of anything, and I take the Chinese girl, and I thought, man, we really didn't think that through. <laughs> but when when we were when I was talking to her, and I had done the survey with her, and I said, you know, what exposure have you had to the Christian faith? And she was talking about how there was one um, cousin of hers in China that had talked to a missionary or somebody there that had given her the Bible. And she was like, and that's like, no, like, you don't do that. Like, you don't give people Bibles and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay. So what happened? She just told me that there was Jesus and that he's God. And I said, okay. Did she tell you anything else? No, she didn't tell me anything else. And I said, you do you want to know about Jesus? She says, yeah, I want to know about Jesus. And she's, like I said, she's only there for three months, and she's staying with this apartment. And she didn't have a car, so we would have um, somebody in our group that would go pick her up because we'd have the gospel outreach and then the next night we would have a sports night and we'd invite people to come out and play basketball and racquetball and you know we had kids out playing and most of the kids just came and played and didn't want to talk about anything spiritual they just wanted to have a good time we had pizza and stuff like that but this one girl really wanted to know and she made a profession of faith the second night she came out and she was out on sunday lord's day and she was out the next sports night outreach and It was funny because the next night, the next week she came out, I approached her. She had already made a profession the week before. And I said, if someone were to come and ask you, Sarah, if one of your cousins, you go back home, were to come and ask you about Jesus, what would you say? She said, well, Jesus is the son of God who came from heaven and died on the cross so that we could be reconciled unto God. I said, how do you know that's true? He said, because he, he's alive. He rose on the third day. And I looked at her, and I thought, here we have you know 39 kids that struggle with giving the gospel, and this person who's been saved for a week in another language can give it clearly. So she goes back home next month, back to China, and uh, she's going to need a lot of prayer. Her name is... I don't know what her Chinese name is, but her name in English that she used was seraph, like seraphim. So if you can remember seraph in your prayers, that will be appreciated too. She's going back home soon. But out of all the people that we talked to and shared the gospel with, there was one, one person. And we got to thinking, we read a book while we were there called Born to Reproduce. I'm sure some of you have read it. It's from the guy that started The Navigators. Um... Dawson Trotman or Trot something or other. And it was a book talking about how when two people come together and they get married, they can have a child. And they're born and they're able to reproduce. And if they can't have a child, then they're sterile people and they can't have a child. And the question was in your Christian life, are you sterile? When was the last time you saw somebody come to the Lord? And if it hasn't happened... What's, what's wrong? Are you not sharing it? Are you sharing it and it's just not working out? Or are you taking the time? And a lot of people, again, were offended at that. Well, it's not a numbers game. I say, no, it's not a numbers game. But when was the last time you prayed for one person that you knew that was not saved continually? And we didn't really have an answer. I had an easy answer because it's my parents. So... You know, I don't look at that as being fair, exactly. But just the idea that if, if we all went out and had one person on our heart, and we prayed for that person over and over and over and over and over again, and we were there in their lives, and we got to know them, and we had a relationship with them, and we knew what they believed, and we knew what they were about, and they knew what we believed, and they knew what we were about, And the goal is beyond them getting saved. The goal is them getting saved and then being trained. And then them being trained so somebody else gets saved. And they can train them. And they can train them and on and on and on. And we build a body of strong, healthy believers. And when you really look at it, it's a very simple idea. Like it makes perfect sense. And it all came down to are we willing to invest that kind of time that kind of time in other people, to allow people to see what our lives are really like. Most of us were honest and said, "You know, not right now. I'm not willing. I got, you know, most of the kids were in school. I got school. I got work. You know, then I have my youth activities at church, and I have all these things. You know, I don't think I'd have the time." And the speaker, Nate Bramson, he was just—he's just an amazing guy. He was a great brother to be around. And he didn't pull any punches. He didn't, uh, he had no fear. And he'd say, so you're telling me that you can't be a testimony at your school. You can't be a testimony at your work. That of all the people you run into the most, there's not one person that you can put on your heart to pray for and to seek out and to invest your life into. There's not one person. And I say, no, I can think of one. I say, well, then you pray about that one and he was a guy who was talking about praying for people that we don't necessarily like that much. He says, that doesn't happen too often. But he says, let me tell you, it's, it's hard to hate somebody that you pray for all the time. It's hard to not want to see them built up when you're on your knees and coming before the Lord and just begging the Lord to do work in their lives. It's hard to be angry hard to get upset and so that was the one thing encouraged was prayer beginning with prayer and so these whole three weeks i was there it was more of just a look in the mirror of how things are going and what's it supposed to look like and where are we going and how are we going to get there and one of the themes of the The whole time we were there was uh, seeking his face. And when we seek his face, is he pleased? Is he upset? Is he happy? And then we'd come to our studies in which we were doing grammar most of the time. During the day, we'd go through the word and we had to, it was like being in grade school again. And I had to learn what was a prepositional phrase and a independent clause and a dependent clause and um, the different pronouns used and it was ridiculous I said I can't wait to get back home I'm going to teach this to my wife and then I'm going to have her do it when she goes through the scripture for me so I don't have to she's a lot better at it than I am but then you would get to the messages on you know you could have all these things you could know all things you could just have all the insights in the world but if you have not love you have nothing And it's a reality check. The thing that Christ is interested in us the most is our character and how we live for him. How much we know, what we can do physically, what we can do mentally. You know, in all honesty, it it really doesn't mean that much if you don't have love. If you have love and you have those things, that's great power. But if you have those things and have not love, you got nothing. And it's all about focusing on the things that you have. If you have that mental capacity, then you need to strive for those things but at the forefront needs to be the love of Christ. And if you have that ability to go out and work, you have to have Christ's love first. And just reorganizing things. And one of the, if you could turn to Matthew chapter 5, one of the things that really stood out the whole time I was there. This is the Sermon on the Mount. When I was growing up Catholic, the Beatitudes were memorized you had to memorize them as a kid i can't remember them now but when i was a kid i could recite them all and it was something that was preached all the time the beatitudes and the funny thing was even in today's day it seems like we have blessings and curses mixed up what's a blessing and what's a curse we'll start in verse three blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted?' It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. The one thing we notice in these verses is that there's three designated for those that are persecuted. Blessed are you which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so often we seem to shy away from being persecuted. We have a fear of being persecuted. But we see if we're living for righteousness' sake that we will be persecuted. It's a promise. It's going to happen. Blessed are you if you're persecuted. And it was just a reality check to listen to these things and to to have someone speak directly to you. To know that you dedicated three weeks of your time to come here because you want to grow. Well, do you really want to grow? Because if you want to grow, then get ready. And just night after night... And by the end of the first week, we were all broken. (laughs) You know, we were crawling up the piers. Okay, we've had enough. You know, we need to work on these things. Stop, you know. But they just kept going. They wanted you to see what we're really called to do and to walk with a manner worthy of the calling by which we were called. So we come back as an encouragement. An encouragement that... If we can all, today, decide that we're going to each pray for one person and that we're really going to live the gospel out in front of them, just one person, and in one year, if half of us lead that person to Christ and train them up, we grow. We train them up, and in another year, if they lead people to Christ and those that didn't lead those to Christ, we grow. And we say, okay, now we're too big for this building, so we're going to start another church where you guys are located. Plan a church. Keep going. Keep training. Keep moving on. Keep investing in one another. I was one of the lucky ones at the conference, the program. When we would talk about the fellowships and the assemblies, I'd say... You know, you guys are all first string where you came from. I'm like seventh string back home. I was like, so you guys talk about the issues you have and the problems you have. I said, we, don't, we just don't have it. And then they'd look at me and say, well, then you got no excuse. <laughs> I said, well, never mind. I mean, we kind of have some problems, but we don't have all the problems that you guys are talking about. But it's true. We, we have no excuse. We have people that are, are able and ready and willing and that just need to go out and do it. And they were just so jealous to hear about Claremont. And Jim McCarthy made a comment too at the end when when we were all going home and he just said, man, nice to be going back home to a strong assembly. Most of these kids here never even seen what one of those looks like. Never even seen what real godly people, how they live, most of it's just going through the motions, no fire, no life. And it's a shame. Why is it that way? When we have the truth and we have the relationship with God in heaven, why is it that way? And I think it's because we get comfortable and we enjoy each other and we want to spend time with each other. And why would we waste our time with the heathen? They're, it's not that fun. They can't enjoy the same things we enjoy. They don't understand the things that we understand. Even when I go and hang out with my mom and dad, just the things that they talk about or bring up or concern, you just wonder. You know, do they look at me the way I look at them? Do do they see that when they talk about certain things, like it means nothing to me, certain things? When I talk to them, what I say means nothing to them. And if we weren't related, it'd be a real hard time. If we didn't have all the history and the past and love each other as, you know, parents and children, it'd be hard. And it is hard. But the one thing that kept echoing throughout the whole thing, if, if you want to see people saved, you actually have to be interested in those people getting saved. You actually have to live out a life in front of them and be with them and encourage them and show them that you're different. And I think so often you, you turn away and you, it's easier just to stop talking and to fellowship with one another and to enjoy the growth that we have in, in the word, but we forget the love that we're supposed to have. Uh, Grant Ferrer was another gentleman who was there with us. He's a missionary in Honduras for quite some time, and he's going to be a missionary in Spain. And he, was, uh, he has an, a pretty amazing testimony. Uh, he was a pilot, and he was going to prep this, uh, prop this plane, get the propeller going. And he went and got it going, and it came down and started early and chopped both his knees off right at the kneecap. Boom. He goes down, and he's, he's dying. He wasn't a believer at the time. But they pick up, like, the kneecaps, and they put him in the ice, and they take him to the thing, and they fix him up, and they, they save his life. And about a week later, his f- best friend tells him that he became a Christian gives him a book. You need to read this. And he reads the book, and he gets saved. And he comes out of the room in the morning and goes into the hallway to go downstairs, and he's with his mom by the time she's taking care of him. And she says, what happened to you? You seem different. Something's changed. You don't seem worried or angry. He said, something has changed. I've been born again. And it was funny because we were, at a, we were all at lunch when he was giving his testimony. And we had invited three girls that we had met on our outreach. And they were Catholic, and they were just really open. And they had taken us out to a swamp and showed us around where the gators are. I wasn't thankful for that. The, the, the gators, are, they're, they're just frightening. We were, we were standing there, and the gator was like where Ricky is. And he's like eight feet long. And it's just his head. And the girls go up that are with us. You know, the foreign girls come up. And they want to take a picture. Well, then he goes underwater. And all the locals do this. All the locals start backing up. And all the foreigners, what do they do? Oh, is he going to come back up? Let me get a... And they said, you, you know, he's trying to get footing so that he can lunge at you and eat you if you get too close. You know, all of a sudden the bubbles started coming closer. And they're like, you might want to just, you know, if he, jump, if he runs at you, you've got to zigzag. Don't run in a straight line. So that was, that was enough for me. But we had met these girls, and we would invited them out to lunch, and he was giving his testimony. And before him, a gentleman by the name of uh, Bobby Campbell, whom you guys probably know, he fellowships up north. He gave his testimony. And after he gave, Bobby gave his first, and Grant gave his. And afterwards, I was talking with Bobby. I said, so what did you, know, what did you learn about everything? He said, you know what I learned when I was first saved? Always give your testimony before the guy that got his knees chopped off. You don't want you, you to go after that. You know what I mean? You don't want to be the guy that talks after that. But just that the, the three girls were so open and interested, but it was all, well, that's good for you, but it doesn't work for me. Or that's enough for you, but that, nah, I think there's more to it. And the question is, well, what makes you think that? I don't know. I just think that. okay. <laughs> There's not there much farther you can go with certain people after that. Once they've already seen and they've made a decision and that's what it is, you just got to pray for them. Spirit will work with them. Spirit's been working with them their whole life. You're just one person in the chain. Lord willing, His mercy will endure and they'll have the opportunity to make that decision. But just on a practical level, we come back to just one person. You know, a lot of times we want to get together and preach to a, a bunch of lost people. And it's like, we just at a time. You know, we, we think of like one person preaching to a great many and a great many coming to know the Savior. And it's like, how are we going to handle all these newborns? We can't do it. We just, we don't have the, the time or the energy or the manpower to do it. But if we all went out and spoke to that same number of people, and we all came back, they got saved, and we trained them up, and they can go out and do it. That's where the power is. We don't need a building. We don't need anything. We just need to be living our lives and loving people, praying for them, be willing to share the pain that they have. In so many countries, the guy talks about going to different countries, and the people won't listen to anything you say until you're willing to share a bit of pain that they have if if you come in and do your good thing and help them out and then you go back and you're staying in the nice part of town you don't have any credibility because you don't know what it's like you don't know what they go through and that's the things that we all have and that's our own personal pride that our situation is harder than everybody else's that's how i felt but when you see somebody that's willing to go through that with you and is completely different than you in how they live and how they approach things and how they see God, that speaks volumes. And the biggest question we always had for people that said they were Christian was, What's your relationship with God like? And 95% would say, Well, what do you mean? I say, It's a pretty easy question. You got parents. Yeah. What's your relationship with your parents like? Well, it's not that good, you know. I'm trying to get out of the house, and they're on top of me, and this and that. And I said, so you can talk about that. So what's your relationship with God like? Well, I don't have a relationship with God. And people are willing to be so honest if you just take the time to talk to them. And most of the time, if, if you're just asking them questions. Because once you start asking them questions, you really want to know. And you, you're really curious on what they believe And oftentimes they get themselves so lost, by the end of it, they're just clinging to know, well, what's the way? How come you don't feel this way? And that's the opportunity we have to give the gospel. So the big thing about the trip that I realized going there, fellowshipping with all those brothers and sisters, is that the one common thing throughout the entire world that's going on is we're not doing the work. And we realized that about the second week. There's no strong testimony anywhere. People, people's assemblies are getting smaller and smaller. People are moving on towards other things. They're more consumed with the lifestyle they want to live while they're here than their eternal rest in heaven. And for the entire world to be that way was, was hard because you have this hope that somewhere else it's, It's vibrant, they're going, they're seeing people saved, and they're just growing and getting to know what's the fullness of God, and it's just not happening. And it really brings to light the Laodicean church, and being lukewarm, and being content. And we had a brother that was from Israel, and he described it as, it was funny because I never thought of it this way, he says, when you get into a lukewarm bath, same temperature as your body temperature, you don't feel nothing. It's like just being in anything, and there's no change. So it's not even like you're in the water. But if it's really, really cold, you can tell it's really, really cold. And if it's really, really hot, you can tell. So if it's really hot, you get burned and you got to get out of there because it's just an it's immediate reaction. He says, but if it's cold, your body will get numb, and then eventually you'll have no response. And it was interesting how he related it that way, being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. There's no effect. Nothing's happening. So it was hard in one aspect to not be depressed about the way things are going. But you'd come back to the worship, and you'd come back to the Lord. And I was going to speak on John chapter 10. I was going to speak on John chapter 10, but... uh, Our dear brother Dave Dixon spoke on it last week. And thankfully, Jason posted it on the website early, so I got to listen to it. (laughs) But go ahead and turn there anyway. Just spend the next couple minutes. So this is great. You guys already have all the background. You know about John chapter 9 and the blind man, how this is a parable following after what took place, him being cast out of the synagogue. John chapter 10, verse 1 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the sheep door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth him out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And this, of course, is a picture of Israel. They are in the sheepfold, and the door has been opened. John the Baptist has come and preached. The kingdom of God is at, ha- is at hand. Repent. Therefore, And Christ comes and he calls, and the sheep are supposed to come out of the fold. They're supposed to come out and follow him. Those that are his know his voice, and they follow him out of the fold, out of the retaining wall that's there. Verse 7, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, shall go in and out and find pasture. This didn't make sense to me in the beginning because I thought of a door as a door-door. Like, that's a door, and you got to open it to get through it. Um, But we talked about this passage when we were there, and the guy from Israel was saying, you know, we have shepherds, and what happens is they go to the folds, and it's just a rock wall. And it's an opening. And the the door is just an opening. It's just a space where there's nothing there. And what happens is a good shepherd lays at the door. So the sheep can't come out or a wolf can't come in without stepping over the shepherd. So that he can protect the sheep or that if the sheep are escaping, he can keep them from getting out. Christ being the door. He is the one that stands in the way of somebody escaping and somebody coming in. And it brings us back to the door, Noah's Ark, one door, one way in, one way out. The tabernacle, one door, one way in, one way out. There's only one door. Christ is the door. And he goes on in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. The interesting thing in that verse, there shall be one fold, is actually there shall be one flock. Uh, the fold is the idea of them being contained in the perimeter. When he calls the sheep out of the sheepfold, those are the Jews coming out of the sheepfold. When he has others that are far off and he's bringing them, he's bringing them unto himself, not to the fold, but unto himself. And there'll be one flock with one shepherd, both Jew and Gentile. Verse 17, Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. The Lord talks about laying down his life four or five times in just these couple verses. And the one thing that really struck us while we were in Lafayette, Jim McCarthy gave a message on one of the things about uh, the Apostle John that really just gets on his nerves the fact that the Apostle John calls himself the the disciple whom Jesus loved. He said, does that irritate anybody else? He said, that just grates on me. How can he say he's the disciple whom Jesus loved? How does he know that? And it's funny, when you go and study the words that he uses for love, agapao, the act of choosing to love someone, unconditionally a godly love, but he also uses phileo, the one whom Jesus has affection for. And he said, that just really got on me. I could see theologically how Christ could choose to love people. But it's hard at times to think when you just commit sin or you have need of repentance that God has affection for you. Christ has this affection for you. But he does. In verse 17, it talks about therefore doth my father love me and that love is an agapao. It's a godly love. But later on when it talks about the father loves us because we love his son i think it's in john chapter 16 that's a phileo love god has affection for us because we love his son and the one thing to remember that when we're looking at the good shepherd and that he has called us unto himself and that we are to follow and he goes before us are we doing our job are other people hearing the voice of christ are we reaching the lost? There's more sheep out there. And he is the good shepherd. And are we living a life that shows that he is? He laid down his life so that he could take it again. We ought to lay down our lives because he's already given us life abundant. that's there's, there's, there, a beautiful thing. There's nothing that, nothing that can keep us. From knowing what is the breadth, depth, length, width, height, the fullness of God, we will be with him one day as a promise, and we will spend eternity with him. But now is the time for us to go out and to work, which is our reasonable service, give our bodies as a sacrifice, living and holy unto him. So it's just an encouragement. It was a great time of blessing being in Lafayette. Again, I appreciate all the prayers. And if anyone wants to hear more about what went on as far as the studies, like I say, most of it was actually grammar studies, word studies. Um, we outlined Ephesians. We gave messages. They would have us stand up there with our Bible, and they would say, okay, you're going to talk for four minutes on Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 4. Go. And you'd have to open up your Bible and say, okay, turn to Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 4. And we're going to be starting at verse 1. And stuff like that, just, you know, on the spot. Uh, we did a lot of gospel training, how to give a testimony in 60 seconds, how to share your story, how to interact with people. Um, the biggest thing was love people and be interested in them. And it'll, it'll show itself. You'll have opportunity. We'll go ahead and close there. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the opportunity we've had this morning to come and to remember the Good Shepherd. Father, that he is one who has gone before. He is one who's laid down his life for us. And he came that we might have life and that we might have an abundant life. And Father, when we come together as brothers and sisters, we are indeed so overjoyed with that thought. But so often when we leave and we're on our own, we don't live that out. So, Father, we just pray that we would have a conviction in our heart to, to live it out, to reach out to people and to pray for people. And, Father, that we may do what is your perfect will, that we would preach the gospel, this great gift that we've been given, that we would share it with others, that we would show them who Christ is, that they may know who you are, Father, that they may see there is a separation between themselves and you, but that Christ is the way and that he's the good shepherd that will lead them there. Father, we just pray for an encouragement, a building up of the saints here that we may all go out and live for Christ. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen.